0: How are you all today on this gorgeous Monday, really? I mean I know it's supposed to be like getting close to wintertime, but it doesn't feel like it yet. Mm -mm. Not that I'm No. I'm glad to be out of the heat. This is this is pretty nice weather.
1: I enjoy it very much. This is this is really very (laughs)
0: nice. So um and we are glad everybody is here today as we return to the book of Numbers. Yes. So
1: Good thing is Scott is coughing almost I mean, so much less than yesterday. It's, you know, he's been on this little-
0: But you know what you've done now.
1: What have I done?
0: You've jinxed me.
1: Oh, I haven't. I haven't. You he's been on not. a little Prendazone pack for the last couple of days and tomorrow is the very last one, but uh, so far he's been doing great. And um, we went this morning to Larry Phillips' um, funeral up at St. Andrew. And it was uh, quite a lovely service. Yes,
0: Arthur, Philip, Andrew—they did. They, they did all did just a wonderful, wonderful job. job. They wonderful really job.
1: did, and um, it was nice seeing so many people we know. It was to remember, very much so to remember Larry. It all—it all went, uh, like I said, really, really nicely. So um, here we so are. So
0: let's take let's talk about schedule for a minute, yes. a, a little bit, okay. okay? So today is December fourth. Next Monday we will be meeting. It's December eleventh. Mm-hmm. The next Monday we will also meet. It is December eighteenth, and it it's Charles Wesley's birthday. Oh my! On December eighteenth. Wow. Yes. Now the s- Monday after that is Christmas Day. I don't think we'll it's meet. It's not Patty. happening. No. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. Or New Year's Day.
0: Yeah. And this yes. and the, and the uh, Monday after that is New Year's Day. Right. And. No.
1: My goodness, do you know how many men are going to be watching football games? I'm one of those. And women, they would yeah, not be we happy. we got
0: Michigan and Alabama. That would be a good game. And then the Longhorns. Get Washington, Washington yeah. and that's going to be a good game.
1: It's going to be a great game.
0: Yeah, yes. so that'll yeah. be fun. Be, it's actually fun. a
1: real holiday, Scott, that day. That's, it is that's a real not holiday. Like a, I, I know. Think we joking. were
0: never going to have Bible study He's that day. joking
1: with me just oh, I to suppose. see. It. We never
0: were. But anyway, so we will miss two weeks, but then we'll be back to pick it up on Monday, January... 8th. 8th, exactly. So, And we will just resume where we yeah. are on numbers, by then they will be launched and they will be going out. You know, it's just, wow, it's taking them a long time to get ready.
1: It is. (laughs) Now can I
0: make a husband joke? Do I have permission to do do. that?
1: You do, you do. Okay.
0: So sometimes we go to parties and I think we're leaving, but I'm wrong. And it's a long process. To get Patty out the door because she just loves everybody and everybody wants their Patty time.
1: Oh, you mean when we're already at the event? When we're
0: at the event, oh, just to leave the event. Oh,
1: okay, I got you. I was. I don't say, mean getting
0: ready to go. Yeah, because I'm do really good well about that.
1: that. Yeah. You
0: know, by and large, logic. Because I'm here, you'd be late to everything if you weren't, That's if you true. weren't married it's to me. Probably. Is true. that true?
1: That's probably really
0: true. Only probably. <laughs>
1: never I love know you, what darling. What would have happened in the last twenty-five what? years? I might have gotten better on my own.
0: Possibly
1: Possibly <laughs> But I know what Scott is saying. I used to drive our son Rob completely out of his mind because I'd always be saying, I, I just gotta say goodbye to and I-, I just gotta say goodbye and-, and I just and he'd just say, Mom, it takes you like forty minutes
0: just to leave to the leave- room.
1: <laughs> Just to leave the room. And I don't mean to do that. I really don't. But it's it's okay. not me being. You love all those people,
0: and they all want. They, they all love you. I and do.
1: Whether it's family get-togethers yeah, or yeah. friends, our friends are almost yeah. everybody from Saint Andrew. I mean, we don't we don't do a lot of um, partying or anything with folks that. And you
0: have to carry don't. all of the sociableness, yes, for two of us
1: because Scott. After a few minutes of talking, he's gotten really better, though. You've gotten better. I was even told that today. I was told by a few people today at the funeral that how well you've adapted to Robert's teaching on hugging. I have. He's done well. I'm a hugger now. Better (laughs) watch out. (laughs) But um, anyway, and I was teasing back with people saying, Scott has talked so much at this lovely reception afterwards. I don't know if he's going to be able to speak for class today. That'd be a lot of words. A lot of words, but he's he's. I'm up ready. For it. He's I'm up ready. For it. So okay, okay, we better start and open this. Okay, open let's this do it. Day In prayer,
0: gracious Lord, we are so grateful to be gathered here today, around this virtual table, in which we can return to the Book of Numbers as they prepare themselves for the long march to the Promised Land, and we pray that you will help us to um, sort of take this in and be able to see it in our mind's eye, um, why they're preparing as they are uh, before they before somebody says go and off they head. All this we pray in Jesus' name, amen.
1: Amen, all right. Okay, so
0: friends, we are at the very beginning of chapter seven. I checked and I'm pretty sure that's exactly where um, we ended it last time, at the beginning of chapter seven. So chapter 7 is about the offerings that the tribes make at the dedication of the tabernacle. And I guess I guess what I think we should take away from this is one, the fact that these offerings are things that people are giving to God. And it comes from the best of what they have. You run this into the same thing. One of the most famous ones is in Chronicles as they are dedicating the temple in Jerusalem. And we've even used that story in um, uh, sermons or when we dedicated the uh, sanctuary, I think. (coughs) So it's, it's, it's a matter of really seeing that these what we give to saint andrew is not like the donations we make to the red cross the red cross is a wonderful organization we do good work patty has a amount of money that she doles out to different organizations at the end of the year to do good but the church is different the offerings Uh, The tithes, what we can give in terms of whether it's money or service or um, time, whatever it is, they're offerings to God and they do need to be from the best of what we have because God has given us life and um, we are returning to God some portion of our life that is really really God's to begin with. And over the years, I've learned that people, some people have trouble with that idea. But I, I think that when you really begin to grow in your faith, you, you see that. I can just remember Robert Hasley and Charles Stokes time and again talking about giving at church as an essential part of a person's discipleship, which, which is not how I had ever started, understood it in my life in previous decades. It was just something you gave to the church because the church needed to run, they needed money to run, that's it. But they said, no, 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 this is all about discipleship and your relationship with God. So they're going to give these offerings, they're going to dedicate the tabernacle, this the tabernacle again, is the center of this Israelite religion. The center of it. It is the beating heart of this Israelite religion. And it will remain that way up to and including the time of Jesus. In the time of Jesus, the tabernet, the temple, which is merely a marble version of the tabernacle we read about here, is the beating heart of this religion. It's where the sacrifices are made to enable these people to live in relationship with God and for God to dwell with them. So the temple doesn't, the temple doesn't, what? The temple is marble. We have a lot of marble and stone at St. Andrew. The building St. Andrew doesn't function in Christianity the way the temple does in, in, in Judaism. In Judaism, the temple was where God dwelt with his people. But with the coming of Christ, that changed. And God dwelt in the church, not the buildings, the fellowship of believers, and in each individual believer. We as individuals are temples. The church is a temple of God, but not, not the buildings, not the marble not the wood. And, um, but now at this point in the story of the Israelites and their time with God, the tabernacle is the, very, is the very center. And if you can remember that, you can just imagine how when you get to the time of Jesus and about 40 years after Jesus' death and resurrection, the temple is destroyed, utterly, utterly destroyed by the Romans, you can imagine how traumatic that was. It's the very heartbeat of the religion, and the Romans destroy it. The Babylonians destroyed it in 587, and Lamentations is about that and laments the death of Jerusalem. So, chapter 7. And as always, thoughts and questions, anything like that, are very welcome. Okay, one second. My iPad wants to know my password. Thank you. So, chapter 7, verse 1. When Moses finished setting up the tabernacle, he anointed and consecrated it and all its furnishings. It is consecrated to God, set apart for God. He also anointed and consecrated the altar and all its utensils. Then the leaders of Israel the heads of the families who were the tribal leaders in charge of those who were counted made offerings. They brought as their gifts before Yahweh six covered carts and twelve oxen, an ox from each leader, okay, hence the twelve, and a cart from every two, hence the twelve. These they presented before the tabernacle. Yahweh said to Moses, Accept these from them, that they may be used in the work at the tent of meeting. Give them to the Levites, as each man requires, because you will recall that the tribe of the Levites is in charge of assisting Aaron and his sons with the whew, work of the work we're of the tabernacle. Just always kind of stretching for a word there. So just to remind ourselves. This is the tabernacle, a pretty, a pretty decent illustration. The tent of meeting is that, indeed, that tent there in the back. Um, and this is the arrangement of the tribes around the tent. And the tribal Levites are the Merorites, Gershonites, and Kohathites. And they are there to assist the sons of Aaron and they are the ones who are responsible to see that the tabernacle is properly cared for, utilized, treated, respected. Verse 6, back in chapter 7. So Moses took the carts and the oxen and he gave them to the Levites. He gave two carts and four oxen to the Gershonites. As their work required. Switch it back. To you. What? Switch it. Back to you. Oops. There we go. Thank you, Patty. Mm-hmm. I didn't go back. I didn't switch it back to me, but now you can see me. Yay. That's important now. Mm-hmm. Um. It's very Kay. important. Okay. Two, o- two carts, four oxen to the Gersonites. four carts, and eight oxen to the Mirrorites as their work required. They were all under the direction of Ithamar, son of Aaron the priest. But Moses did not give any to the Kohathites because they were to carry on their shoulders the holy things for which they were responsible. So all that's saying is some of them needed oxen and carts and some of their work did not because there's a really clear division of labor. You know, if you got to move the tent and all the structure, you got to have carts and oxen. If you're just carrying some altar pieces, (laughs) you don't. Now, when the altar was anointed, the leaders brought their offerings for its dedication and presented them before the altar. For Yahweh had said to Moses, each day one leader is to bring his offering for the dedication of the altar. Now, so now what we're going to have is a series of 12 presentations of these offerings. And they are very repetitive. So, we're going to read the first one and then we will notice the rest of them. We'll pay them homage as we go on through them, okay? So, verse 12. The one who brought his offering on the first day was Nashon, son of Aminadab, of the tribe of Judah. Even at this time, the most significant of the tribes. As time goes on, they will become by far the most significant of the tribes in terms of what? Population? Um, worldly wealth, power. Now, verse 13. His offering was one silver plate weighing 130 shekels and one silver sprinkling bowl weighing 70 shekels, each according to the sanctuary shekel. Ancient world, world being of shekel is a measure of weight, and so there were different measures of weight. Kind of like, there's a couple of kinds of ounces, aren't there? Yes, going back to the, my fifth grade. I, love, I always got a kick out of that show. So you think you're smarter than a fifth grader and you discover, no, you all knew all kinds of stuff in the fifth grade, you've forgotten.
1: Like but, a trance?
0: Yeah, very good, Patty. Did you look that up? I didn't. Wow, I that's know. impressive.
1: It's impressive. That's some
0: serious uh, Roman Catholic school training there. <laughs> Each of these is filled with the finest flour mixed with olive oil as a grain offering one gold dish weighing ten shekels filled with incense, one young bull, one ram, one male lamb a year old for a burnt offering, one male goat for a sin offering, and two oxen, five rams, five male goats, five male lambs a year old to be sacrificed as a fellowship offering. This was the offering of Nashon, son of Aminadab. Okay. So then we have the offering in verse 18 of which tribe.
1: Now, can I ask you something Please here? Please do my love. On this on this particular offering yes. is Nasham son of Menadab. is is he offering this up just from his family or is it from is the, he tribe. Doing He's the tribe, the tribe. So this cuz that's a pretty big generous offering. Yeah.
0: This so, is okay. this is the whole clan.
1: Okay, okay. sorry. You know, in this Scotland
0: should... they call it a clan, I think, yes. right? So um, it's a clan, the tribe.
1: Okay.
0: it's a kinship group.
1: He was just Nashon is just the one who was actually yes. physically turning it yes. over. Yes. Okay.
0: So the next tribe up, the next day, because I'm a one one of these every day, is the tribe of Visakar, and you can you can read that. On your own time, if you like. On the third day, Eliab, son of Helon, the leader of the people of Zebulon, brought his offering. And again, this would be from the clan. On the fourth day, Elizer, son of Shadur, the leader of the people of Reuben, brought his offering. <laughs> and you can see that there are great similarities, right? Right. Between these offerings. On the fifth day, Shalumiel, son of Jerushadai, the leader of the people of Simeon, brought his offering. On the sixth day, Eliasaph, son of Duel, the leader of the people of Gad, brought his offering. On the seventh day, Elishamah, son of Amihud, Amihud is how I'd say it, the leader of the people of Ephraim, brought his offering, member Ephraim. If you look up the list of Jacob's sons, you won't find the name Ephraim. Ephraim and Manasseh are the two sons born to Joseph by Joseph's Egyptian wife. And they each will be allotted tribal land in the promised land because there will be 12 tribes and 12 allotments, and Levi will not, the tribe of Levi will not be given an allotment. So, that's what, that's what the deal is with Ephraim. On the eighth day, Gamaliel, son of Petazur, the leader of the people of Manasseh, brought his offering. On the ninth day, Abidon, son of Gideon, the leader of the people of Benjamin, brought his offering. On the tenth day, Ahiazar, son of Amishadai, the leader of the people of Dan, brought his offering. On the eleventh day, Pagiel, son of Ochron, the leader of the people of Asher, brought his offering. And on the twelfth day, Ahira, son of Enan, the leader of the people of Naphtali, brought his offering. So now, all, for twelve days, all twelve tribes have gone one by one, and made their, their, their offering at this dedication of the temple. And what they bring will be used for what? To pay for the tabernacle and to move it and to feed the, the tribes and so forth who don't have land, don't have animal, the tribe of Levi, okay? These were the offerings of the Israelite leaders for the ded- dedication of the altar when it was anointed, 12 silver plates, 12 silver sprinkling bows, and 12 gold dishes. And so then, I'm confident, I did not do this, but I am confident that if I pulled up my calculator and added up all the numbers from each of the 12 offerings, I would get this enumeration here. Okay. The, all right. So, for example, verse 88, the total number of animals for the sacrifice for the fellowship offering came to 24 oxen, 60 rams, 60 male goats, 60 male lambs a year old. These were the offerings for the ded- dedication of the altar after it was anointed. That's a lot of animals. <laughs> There's a New Testament scholar named Paula Fredrickson who wrote... Uh, well, it was a book about the Gospel of John, and a point that she drove home in a way that I had never really grasped before was that during Passover in Jerusalem, when Jesus was a boy, the 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 temple was a charnel house, just this burning factory of animals, slaughtered, sacrificed, and then cooked and burned with the smoke rising up, bellowing up above Jerusalem and stuff, and I don't know if she was a little bit over dramatic or not, but I I I tend to doubt it. Um, and so it is. It is a very very large project, this sacrificial system that God gives the Israelites. You you can't miss it. There's nothing. There's nothing, you couldn't live among them and not know what was happening and how it worked and the scale, the scale of it. So, here we go. 89, now when Moses entered the tent of meeting to speak with Yahweh, because Moses would enter the tent of meeting that... I have a picture, let me just go, why not? My voice could use just a momentary break here. huh? Okay. Okay, so you got the brown tent at the back. So Moses is going to the back of that and he's gonna walk all the way to the back to the curtain that separates the holiest of holies from the rest of that tent and in there, he will go up to the Ark of the Covenant and speak with God. That's what happens. That's the above the the cover of the Ark of the Covenant is like the portal through which Moses and God can meet. Hence the name, when Moses entered the tent of meeting to speak with Yahweh, he heard the voice speaking to him from between the two cherubim above the atonement cover, that's the cover of the box called the Ark of the Covenant, on the Ark of the Covenant law. In this way, Yahweh spoke to him. Okay? Yes. Any questions, anybody? Not yet, hon. Okay. Okay. So now we're gonna set up some lamps and then we're gonna set apart the Levites. Yahweh said to Moses, speak to Aaron and say to him, When you set up the lamps, see that all seven light up the area in front of the lampstand. So this is a <coughs> this is the lampstand that provides the light for God's dwelling place. We all like light in our dwelling place, right? Yes, we do. Chapter, verse 3, Aaron did so. He set up the lamps so that they were faced forward on the lampstand just as Yahweh commanded Moses. This is how the lampstand was made. It was made of hammered gold. Now, we already know this. He already given the instructions. So this is all just just a refresher. It was made of hammered gold from its base to its blossoms the lampstand was made exactly like the pattern Yahweh had shown Moses. Okay? So I've got I've got two bibles working here at the same time. All right. So, here is what God said to Moses. Take the Levites from among all the Israelites and make them ceremonially clean. To purify them, do this. Sprinkle the water of cleansing on them, then have them shave their whole bodies and wash their clothes, and so they will purify themselves. What do you think the point of all of that is?
1: To be the, holy, to be around God?
0: It is, it is to enable them to get ever closer yes. to this holy God.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And it is a way to help the people understand that God is holy and they are not. And they cannot, they cannot breach that gulf and live. You cannot fly too close to the sun and live. The sun doesn't have to do anything for you. It's just so brilliant and bright and hot that the sun you'd be consumed by it. In that way I think it's a good metaphor for approaching God without being ready, which does happen a few times in Scripture. People people disobey these rules, they disobey the process. And it's at the cost of their own life. So this is a way of impressing upon them that they have to be made ready. Even just to do, the Levites will not go into the Holy of Holies like Moses does, but just to get ever closer to it, they have to be made ready. Have them take a verse eight, Have them take a young bull with its grain offering of the finest flour mixed with olive oil, then you are to take a second young bull for a sin offering. That's an offering of atonement. Bring the Levites to the front of the tent meeting and assemble the whole Israelite community. You are to bring the Levites before Yahweh, and the Israelites are to lay their hands on them. Aaron is to present the Levites before Yahweh as a wave offering. Like I said last week, as best we know from this obscure Hebrew term, it's really like when sometimes in a Catholic church the priest would take the elements of communion in his hands and turn and offer them to God. Or when... um, in Protestant churches I grew up in, the minister would collect the offering plates and turn and offer them up to God and hold them in the air as the congregation sang the doxology. That happened a lot in churches that I was part of when I was when I was young. Okay? So they're going to present these Levites as a wave offering For God, they are going to be in God's service. Then the Levites, verse 12, Then the Levites are to lay their hands on the heads of the bulls, using one for a sin offering to the Lord, and the other a burnt offering to make atonement for the Levites. Have the Levites stand in front of Aaron and his sons, and then present them as a wave offering to Yahweh. In this way you are to set the Levites apart from the other Israelites, and the Levites will be mine." So the whole point of it's what? You have this ritual, this ceremony, which is the setting apart of the Levites from the other tribes, and they will be dedicated to God's service, the Levites will. And they are set apart, they will be treated differently, they will live differently, Um, they will not have an allotment of land, they will be provided for by the other tribes. Verse 15, after you have purified the Levites and presented them as a wave offering, they are to come to do their work at the tent of meeting. They are the Israelites who are to be given wholly to me. I have taken them as my own in place of the firstborn, the first male offspring from every Israelite woman. Remember that was a couple chapters back? when the Levites were going to take the place of the firstborn and all the firstborn were counted in the tribes and you had to count all the Levites and match them up (coughs) somehow, right? So, this is the reiteration of that. So, look at verse 20. Moses, Aaron, and the whole Israelite community did with the Levites just as Yahweh commanded Moses. The Levites purified themselves. They washed their clothes. Then Aaron presented them as a wave offering before Yahweh and made atonement for them to purify them. After that, the Levites came to do their work at the tent of meeting under the supervision of Aaron and his sons. They did with the Levites just as Yahweh commanded Moses. Verse 23 Yahweh said to Moses, this applies to the Levites. Men 25 years or old, older more shall come to take part in the work at the tent of meeting. But at the age of 50 they must retire. So God gets them what? In their prime. Yes. 25 to 50. Not too young, not too old. Kind of like the bear's bowl of porridge. At the age of 50, they must retire from their regular service and work no longer. They may assist their brothers in performing their duties at the tent of meeting, but they themselves must not do the work. This is then how you are to assign the responsibilities of the Levites. Okay? Okay. All right, friends. So we are getting closer and closer to actually breaking camp. It may not feel like it to you, but we are. Now we come to um, something that really um I've said that the uh, temple the tabernacle, which will become the temple, is the very center of this Israelite religion and lying at the center center of that is the Passover. Right? The Passover the Exodus from Israel from Egypt that is the great salvation story. Across the Old Testament that is the great salvation story. Time and again God would remind his people what he had done for them to rescue them from slavery under Pharaoh. Often in the hopes that they would return to God and be grateful to God for what God had done for them. But sadly, the story of the Old Testament is that they largely do not. Okay, so (laughs) Yahweh spoke to Moses in the desert of Sinai in the first month of the second year after they came out of Egypt. And he said, have the Israelites celebrate the Passover at the appointed time. Celebrated at the appointed time at twilight on the 14th day of this month and according with all its rules and regulations. So we won't go back to it, but if you want to after class or this week, it's Exodus 12. Exodus 12 is where the basic regulations around the Passover, what it, what it consists of, are set out because it, this Passover is meal, is ceremonially eaten before the Exodus from Egypt. It is is part of the evening when the death of the firstborn passed the Hebrews by, okay? So, Moses told the Israelites to celebrate the Passover, and they did so in the desert of Sinai. They did everything just as Yahweh commanded. Verse verse 6, but some of them could not celebrate the Passover on that day. Why? Because they were ceremonial, unclean, on account of a dead body. Because guess what? People die all the time, not just on schedule. So there's always gonna be people in the community that have had to deal with dead bodies. And um, somebody, you know, who who falls ill or has an accident or just old age expires, like right there before the Passover. So it's understandable. So they look at the chapter, verse six. So they came to Moses and Aaron that same day, And they said to Moses, we have become unclean because of a dead body. But why should we be kept from presenting the Lord's offering with the other Israelites at the appointed time? Well, Moses, Moses has a big advantage over me.
1: He gets to actually ask God the questions. Yeah,
0: what do I have to say all the time?
1: Got to put it on an index card. Put it on an
0: index card and take it to God. I can't answer that. But see, Moses doesn't have to say that. <laughs> yeah. I never thought of that before. So Moses answered them, wait, wait, wait. Wait until I find out what Yahweh commands concerning you. And then he's going to go back in and go, where's he going to go? Where's he gonna, is he going to go find a, a little tree to sit under and meditate? You know, wait for God to speak to him. Go sit down at a table with, you know, some sort of writing instrument in hand and wait for inspiration. No, he will make his way into the tabernacle, into the tent of meeting, and go to the back of the holiest of holies and stand before the Ark of the Covenant and the cherubim that are atop the cover of the Ark. That's where he will go. So, that doesn't even tell us that that's what he does because that's how it works. So Yahweh said to Moses, Tell the Israelites, When any of you or your descendants are unclean because of a dead body or are away on a journey, they are still to celebrate the Lord's Passover. But they are to do it on the 14th day of the second month at twilight. Now just notice, 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 notice away on a journey, which means they can't They can't make the trip back to the community, back to the tribes, right? They're off somewhere else all by themselves. So, this will come to be important when the Israelites, later we call them the Jews, are more spread out and they're living in far-flung places and many of them can't make the trip back to Jerusalem for the Passover, they are to still celebrate it wherever they are. Because yeah. it, is, it isn't about the place where they are that matters. It is about the Passover itself. Yes, honey?
1: I was just wondering, you know, the younger women would be ceremonially ceremonially unclean a week, a month. There's nothing mentioned about that in there. Would do you think that would hold thir- true for the women? Because didn't they have to? You know, I, I yeah, the red I, but it may be
0: that the I'm just guessing. Yeah,
1: because that question
0: didn't occur to me. That, I I, I yes. think that probably touching a dead body puts you in a level of ritual uncleanness that menstruation does not. Okay, that would be my guess. Okay. Because the language is so exacting, you would yes. think it would say, right? Yes, yes. But it doesn't, so um, I'm guessing it, it, it isn't.
1: There. Okay, alrighty, good.
0: Okay, Yes. so back to verse 11. So here's what it's going to be. They, whether you're out of town <laughs> on a journey or not, they are to eat the lamb together with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They must not leave any of it till morning or break any of its bones when they celebrate the Passover, they must follow all the regulations. But if anyone who is ceremonial clean and not on a journey fails to celebrate the Passover, they must be cut off from their people for not presenting the Lord's offering at the appointed time. They will bear the consequences of their sins. So, it's a really good little piece of case law in a way. There are practical considerations to handling the Passover. And so there are provisions made for those who have, to, who have touched a dead body or, or for those who are away and, and can't. But if you're there and you are not ceremonially unclean and you don't do it, then that is going to bear significant consequences you will bear the consequences of that sin. That sin is an offense against whom? God. Sin is a word that really is, you know, we harm others, but we sin against God.
1: Yes.
0: You know, in the biblical sense, we don't really sin against one another. I mean, I, I, if, if I harm another person, the sin, what makes it a sin, is it's done in God's eyes. I harmed another person, but it's a sin before God. <clears throat> does that makes sense? Yes. Patty, is yes, that clear?
1: Yes,
0: Don't even... Okay, so verse 14. A foreigner residing among you is also to celebrate Yahweh's Passover in accordance with its rules and regulations, for you must have the same regulations for both the foreigner and the native-born. So, isn't that interesting? Everybody participates. Everybody participates. <coughs> now, as a Methodist, I, I, I get a little bit of thrill out of verse 14 because I can't help but see some analogy to our... Practice of Holy Communion. Now, Passover, the Jewish Passover, and Holy Communion are not the same thing. Um, Holy Communion is not merely the New Testament version of Passover. They are different, they have different goals, different theology. However, in the law of Moses, people who were not, who were away, who, who were not part of this community, were to participate in this Passover. Now, it uses the word foreigner, and I don't know if that includes Gentiles. I'm, I'm guessing there were so few Gentiles that would come into the community, but I'm going to have to look that up. I should have done that before, the, the this foreigner, because certainly we in Methodism practice an open table. Everybody is welcome. We encourage everybody to come forward and take communion. It is God's table. We view it as, well, this is a table of grace and this, this table of grace might be the time when a person really surrenders themselves to God and embraces the grace that God is pouring out upon them. So who are we to say, well, no, no, you have to be this, you have to be baptized, you have to be a certain age, or whatever, whatever. So anyway, interesting. Okay. Oh, my. Now.
1: But
0: Lynn wrote there, but it gives a glimpse of God's inclusion. Yes, Lynn. It gives a glimpse of God's inclusion. That's why... you know, this that's a really good thing for us to focus on for a second here. So many Christians view themselves as gatekeepers. They think that the job is largely to sort of keep people out unless they can demonstrate the right the, the right beliefs, the right doctrine, the right practices and so forth. As opposed to being ushers, sort of bringing bringing people in. God's goal is to bring everyone to a right relationship with God. God's goal is not to keep people out. God tells Abraham, all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. Jesus tells the disciples, go and make disciples of all nations. Go to the ends of the earth. Um. so, the parable of the prodigal son, what's that about? The parable of the prodigal son is about welcoming home somebody who was lost, lost, and lost. God doesn't give him a stern lecture. The father doesn't give him a stern lecture about, well, don't let this happen again, but I'll have to go ahead and take you back as. Well, you know, on certain terms, no, the Father just sweeps him up in his arms and welcomes him home. It's, it's, does it, does it mean that, well, that on the converse, does it mean anything goes, that doesn't matter what you believe, but doesn't matter, I don't care really who Jesus is, you know, no, of course not. Because the God who is this giver of grace is fully revealed in Jesus. So if you're going to to be swept up by this God of grace who is fully revealed in Jesus, it does matter who you think Jesus is. And you need to learn ever more about who this Jesus is that you have entrusted yourself to. But there's just too many people who are all about exclusion um, rather than inclusion. I don't
1: know, Scott, if you saw the Mona's uh, yes. Bible says uh, in her notes foreigner must first be circumcised.
0: Okay. Well, that kind of answers that question. If the study note is right, you know, usually the study notes are good. So being, and of course if the, if the situation is that the foreigner must be circumcised, well, um, that would mean they basically were entering into this community, right? Yes. Because circumcision was this covenant of of participation in the community of God's people. When when, when a man, there wasn't much, you know, like evangelism or anything like that. This is stuff all people are born into. But if someone uh, married and wanted, you know, maybe took an Israelite wife and wanted to be fully accepted, that person would have to become, would have to, that man would have to be circumcised Okay, so Nancy Pratt says, Our job is marketing. God is management. Ha! We spread the word. God decides. Yeah. Okay. See, another good. That's the whole parable of the wheat and the weeds. You know, it's not our job to go out of the field and decide who's genuinely wheat and who are weeds. Jesus says, Leave that to me. That's at the end. That's not your job. Just leave it alone. It is. Very good point Nancy. Point too many people forget and and it's it's just a bit crazy. All right. Okay. Anything else? Thanks for commenting there people. It's almost like we are all together in one place. Isn't it? Yes it is. All right. Things are beginning to happen on the day, verse 15, on the day of the tabernacle, the tent of the covenant law was set up, the cloud covered it. What is the cloud? The cloud is the sign of God's presence. It is called a theophany. T-H-E-O-P-H-A-N-Y. It is the cloud that was... Over the top of Mount Sinai, it is the cloud that descends upon the tabernacle at the end of the book of Exodus, after it has been um, uh, constructed. It is God's presence with them, and it's a way of signifying that 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 presence. So. <clears throat> From evening till morning, the cloud above the tabernacle looked like fire, (coughs) right? God is holy. Uh, Fire, purification is a very, very standard metaphor for holiness. That is how it is to be, that is how it continued to be. The cloud covered it and at night it looked like fire. And why is the cloud covering the tabernacle? Because the tabernacle is God's dwelling place. Could God be contained in such a physical structure? No. But it signifies that God is dwelling with these people in a way that God was dwelling with no one else. It's part of this of the long story of God's rescue project that God chose to launch through Abraham and Sarai, who were the parents of this family that is collected there at the bottom of Mount Sinai. They are still the family that God is gonna work through to redeem humanity. All of the families of the earth will be blessed. And, of course, it is from that family that Jesus comes. Jesus is born a Jew to young Mary and righteous Joseph. And so the cloud is there over the tabernacle, signifying God's presence. Whenever the cloud lifted from above the tent, the Israelites set out. Wherever the cloud settled, the Israelites encamped. So, who is going to lead the Israelites to the Promised Land? God. God! The cloud. They're just going to go where the cloud goes. Cloud lifts up off the tabernacle, heads out, they knock down the tent, and off they go. When the cloud stops, they stop there and they encamp. Maybe they'll set up the tabernacle. I don't know how they would decide. Maybe it will tell us. I don't know. I can't remember. <laughs> I'm lucky I can remember anything right now. Okay.
1: Oh, you've been doing very good.
0: But yeah, so this is so important to get the fact that this is God's deal. It isn't Moses' deal. When they when 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 they come out of Egypt. Whom do they follow into the wilderness? Moses? He doesn't know where he's going. They follow God. <clears throat> the pillar of cloud during the day, fire at night, and it leads them to Mount Sinai. When they get to Mount Sinai, the Moses, where Moses had met God, there is God in the clouds and stuff over, around over the top of Mount Sinai. And now the cloud over the Tamarack is going to lead them onward. It's so, it's just, this is God's project. We so want to be in control of everything ourselves. We humans can be so, just so stubborn and so stupid. We, we are so wanting to think that we have the power to rescue ourselves from this world's brokenness. If we can only find the right plan, raise the right money, elect the right politicians, we can do this. Let's all just come together. We'll all work together as a team. We will get there. We can do this, come on. We can fix this and we can fix that and we can eradicate this problem, this problem, this problem, this problem. And then what do you find happens?
1: make a mess october 7th mm-hmm.
0: in israel right covid killing more than a million people two million people three million i don't know how many ended up killing we're just foolish and in it's in our it's it's in our pride we want to think that we can solve everything it's what scientists Want to think? They want to think that they can find all of the answers, and they can't. We can't fix it. Um, this world is broken. It always has been broken. It will be broken until when? Until Jesus returns, and the whole world can see the truth, and can see the kingdom of God in all of its fullness. That now we can see in glimpses. Kind of like First Corinthians 13. We can see in glimpses and in places and in times. But then holy and W-H-O. Holy and fully. It's, it's, it's a... For a preacher, it's a very... It's a very... It can be a very frustrating thing because we live in a time when when people are much too arrogant about human capabilities of fixing this world. That doesn't mean you throw your hands up and walk away. No, of course, what are we to do? Well, we're to build for the kingdom of God. We're to feed, we're to clothe. I mean, we we know all of this from Scripture. Scripture. We're to feed and we're close and we're to shelter and we're to do everything else. We're to invent great medicines and share what we have with everybody else. But the idea that you could end the brokenness and pain in this world by our own hands is just foolish. So I'm gonna stop that rant. Um, but that tabernacle cloud above it is just so cool. Verse 18. At the Lord's command, the Israelites set out, and at his command, they encamped. God is in charge. As long as a cloud stayed over the tabernacle, they remained in camp. And when the cloud remained over the tabernacle a long time, the Israelites obeyed Yahweh's order and did not set out. Sometimes the cloud was over the tabernacle only a few days. At Yahweh's command they would encamp, and then at His command they would set out. Sometimes the cloud stayed only from evening till morning. And when it lifted in the morning, they set out. Whether by day or by night, whenever the cloud lifted, they set out. It's a cloud during the day filled with fire at night. Why with fire at night?
1: They can see,
0: they can see the darn thing. Verse 22, whenever the cloud stayed over the tabernacle for two days or a month or a year... The Israelites would remain in camp and not set out. But when it lifted, they would set out. Gosh, that's a lot of verses devoted to a very simple idea, isn't it? Let's get that right. A very simple idea. At Yahweh's command, they encamped, and at Yahweh's command, they set out. Period. Paragraph. Mm-hmm. End of story. God is in charge. That's okay, it's four o'clock. Patty's getting her medication reminder. Patty?
1: Yes.
0: When we get old enough, do we have to have medication reminders?
1: Well, I don't remember to take my antacid.
0: I know. You're probably gonna forget now.
1: I know. I'll
0: try to I'll try to remind you in 15 minutes. So, end of verse 23. They obeyed Yahweh's order in accordance with his command through Moses. So now they have everything. They're organized. By numbers, they know their places. They're going to march together as tribes. They, When they encamp, they know where they're going to camp. They know who's responsible for what. They know how to care for the tabernacle and the tent of meeting. And, and it's all been dedicated and anointed and consecrated. And everything's been done. And they are ready to go. They have taken great care. God has led them in taking great care. This is very unlike me when I when I travel now myself. I try to be organized, I try to get ready, I try to think of everything, and then when the Uber is pulled away from our house, I start to get plagued by, did I do this? Did I do that?
1: The good thing is, that I locked the really, door. You really always have done it all, you just yeah, start getting panicky. Yeah, well, petticky. I'm
0: still plagued by it. Anyway. Okay, my friends, here we are. We have arrived at chapter 10. Time for the trumpets. I mean, you didn't think this group was just going to head off and just kind of shuffle off, did you? No. This is big. Yahweh said to Moses, make two trumpets of hammered silver and use them for calling the community together and for having the camp set out. When both are sounded, the whole community is to assemble before you at the entrance to the Tent of Meeting. If only one is sounded, the leaders, the heads of the clans of Israel, are to assemble before you. When a trumpet blast is sounded, the tribes camping on the east are to set out. At the sounding of a second blast, the camps on the south are to set out. The blast will be the signal for setting out. To gather the assembly, blow the trumpets, but not with the signal for setting out. Golly, is this detailed instruction or what? What is left to chance here? <coughs> you know, if somebody gave me this passage and said, you know, Scott, you got to preach on this, I would preach on the truth that God is a God of order. Order. Not chaos, order. You know, for Isaac Newton and the rest, this is what gave them confidence in their science. In their science. That that the universe, the earth, the principles they were discovering were uniform and repeatable. And that if you did an experiment twice, exactly the same way each time, you would get exactly the same result why because god is the god of order and it is that order that enables it enables us to do the most marvelous things to land men and soon women on the moon verse 8 The sons of Aaron, the priests, are to blow the trumpets. This is to be a lasting ordinance for you and the generations to come. When you go into battle in your own land against an enemy who is oppressing you, sound a blast on the trumpets. Then you will be remembered by Yahweh, your God, and rescued from your enemies. Now, what are the most famous trumpet blasts of all time in battle? Um,
1: Blasting the trumpet seven times as they marched around the...
0: Which, what place?
1: I'm trying to think of it. and it's, I'm, I'm coming up with the, uh, give me a... Geritol. Oh, <laughs> Jericho. Jericho. When the walls of Jericho, Jericho Yeah, Yeah,
0: yeah. There was this crazy guy named Alan Sherman who recorded kind of crazy songs a long time ago. He had a little ditty about um, knocking down the bottles of Geritol, but it's the walls of Jericho, right? So there you go. Verse 10, also at your times of rejoicing, your appointed festivals and new moon feasts, you are to sound the trumpets over your burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, and they will be a memorial for you before your God. I am Yahweh your God. So what do the trumpets do? See, the trumpets are very binding for the community. Everybody hears them. It's like when I was went to ROTC summer camp up in Kansas, and... There were loudspeakers all over the place. And so every morning at five whatever at, at sunrise, Reveille would go off and we would all hear it. And so everybody hears the same thing at the same time. It's very binding for the fellowship. It's like church bells. Church bells are binding. They, they bring people together. They express, they they express, yeah. Joe, yeah. Thank you, Josie. Yeah. I actually knew it was Jericho. I was just trying to be funny with my bottles of Jericho, Geritol. Yes.
1: Yeah. Yes.
0: That's an old joke. It's got to be about, how old am I now? 73? It's got to be about 60 year old joke. Anyway. Okay. So here we go, friends. On the 20th day of the second month of the second year, the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle of the covenant law. What does that mean? The cloud's lifting up. What's that mean?
1: You're here. Time to go, baby. Yep, yep.
0: Then the Israelites set out from the desert of Sinai and traveled from place to place until the cloud came to rest in the desert of Paran. They set out this first time at Yahweh's command through Moses. So off they go. All right. The divisions of the camp of Judah went first under their standard. Nashon was in, whoa, I just lost my page. 14,
1: um, verse you, get,
0: you get verse 14, 18, 22. These are the divisions of the camp by the 12 tribes. Including the. in verse 25, 26, you get Dan, Asher, and Naphtali. They're all setting out. Look at verse 28 in chapter 10. This was the order of march for the Israelite divisions as they set out. This is a whole bunch of people. I don't know that it's two million of them. It says in Exodus that 600,000 men fled, marched out of Egypt, which would probably be two million people. That is a gigantic number. Today, much less in the ancient world. So, I don't... Whatever it is, it is. But it's a lot of people. and. They're going to be organized. Their organization is a testament to God's order. Now, Mo, verse 29: Now Moses said to Hobab, son of Ruel the Midianite, Moses' father-in-law, We are setting out for the place about which Yahweh said, I will give it to you. Come with us and we will treat you well. For Yahweh has promised good things to Israel. So this man that Moses is talking to is whom? This is a relative of Moses's father-in-law. Way back in the book of Exodus, Moses escapes Egypt after murdering an Egyptian, and he goes out and he makes a life, and he takes a wife, and they're Midianites.
1: So wouldn't he be like Moses' <laughs> brother-in-law if he's the son of Moses' father-in-law?
0: I guess so. I always get confused by that stuff. So I, I, I'll, let, I'll let you and maybe Josie work that out. Okay. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> he answered, no, I won't go. I'm going back to my own land and my own people. But Moses said, please don't leave us. You know where we should camp in the wilderness, and you can be our eyes. If you come with us, we will share with you whatever good things Yahweh gives us. So, they set out from the mountain of the Lord and traveled for three days. The Ark of the Covenant of the Lord went before them during these three days to find them a place to rest. Okay, so they would march, they would carry, remember the Ark of the covenant is portable. It has rings on the four legs through which these long poles would be placed so it could be carried and it would lead them. The Ark of the Covenant is at the front of the procession leading them because God's leading them to the next place with the cloud and the Ark. And Moses can always go check in with God, you know, above the cover of the Ark. The Ark of the Covenant of the Lord went before them during those three days to find them a place to rest. The cloud of the Lord was over them day by day when they set out from the camp. Whenever the Ark set out, Moses said, "'Rise up, Lord! May your enemies be scattered. May your foes flee before you.' Whenever it came to rest, he said, "'Return, Lord!' To the countless thousands of Israel, it's just so cool. So, so Moses gets up in the morning, and what does he say to God? As it's clear that they're pressing on, the Ark of the Covenant's going. He says, "Rise up, Lord, we're going." It's just, it's just a level of, you know,
1: intimacy. intimacy. That's a good yeah.
0: word, Patty. A level of intimacy in this
1: giving God a little pep talk there too.
0: <laughs> well you don't have to make God wake up. But still it's 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 just it's just wonderful. You know, God is such a good God who deigns to interact with us in ways that we can begin to understand. Um And so we use a lot of metaphors and other phrases and things that we we talk about God sometimes as we might talk about ourselves, you know. um, But it isn't saying that God has to be awakened or told to rise up in the morning, but it is a way of expressing the intimacy of the relationship that God desires to have with his people. And that's as true now as it was then that's true. that's what Christmas is about. What's Christmas about? the desire of God to be in a close relationship with humanity so close that God takes on humanity himself in order to to begin to bring that about and it's it's just just quite quite something so in any event. Okay, so I think we are gonna stop right well, this time anyway. So yeah, we're gonna stop right there. So when we come back next week, they are actually, actually um, on the road. And I guess it won't surprise us too much, but you know, it doesn't take them long to start complaining about things. So, Miss Patty is going to come around, and we'll pick up with Chapter 11. See, we covered a lot of ground today, we didn't did. we, Patty? 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. I really wanted to get us out of camp <laughs> today. That was my goal.
1: And get you got us. us. I got us, us out of camp. We're out of camp. We're, We're on out of the camp. Road.
0: We're on the road.
1: Yeah. Road trip.
0: Who was that? Charles Gerald. On, on the road. On the road. CBS on the road with Charles Gerald or something. Maybe. Maybe?
1: I'm not Sure. Before, it's before my time. Yeah. Before
0: <laughs> your time, baby. Yeah.
1: Everybody, we're so glad that you were here with us today. <clears throat> and as you could tell, Scott really is doing so much better. My goodness. So I'm so glad. I didn't have one coughing
0: fit, really. You did? I didn't have to go up and leave.
1: No. Wow. He was concerned about it. It's amazing. That, but he really, he, he's done great all day. All day. So that's all a good thing. Um, thank you again so much for being here. We hope a, a whole bunch of you can be with us tomorrow. Because we are moving into 1 Kings.
0: Yes, we're going to move into 1 Kings. We're just going to do a little bit of 1 Kings yes. to, to get sort of the story of David and maybe just a little bit more past that. And yes. then we're going to go to the book of Acts beginning the first, the first Tuesday in January.
1: That we come back. That
0: we come back. Yes. Yes. So one thing, the stations of the nativity that you've heard about at the church, which are like, we had the stations of the cross last spring mm-hmm. during Lent we now Lauren's put together the Stations of the Nativity and the Rivera's said that they went through it this afternoon they just thought it was really
1: mm-hmm. really
0: special so Lauren is going to take people from my Tuesday class um, on that tomorrow if they would like after class after
1: 1.15, 115. right so
0: we're going to we're going to meet maybe if you're not know, part of the Tuesday class just come to the Narthex maybe at one fifteen, something like that and 1:30, and and we will we will head out to do that. Yes. Okay. Yeah.
1: She's done a great job on it again. Lauren has spent a great deal of time um, putting on on these stations, right. and uh, what's one, the wonderful part would be Lauren's wonderful voice explaining the stations again, like she did last time. But Scott is the one who came up uh, at Lauren's request, and he recorded all the scripture. I did. So they worked together as a team on this, and um, but Lauren really wrote all the curriculum for this. She uh, and
0: she wrote all the devotionals, all the, the ones devotionals. that go with each of the yep. each of the ten stations.
1: So we hope, even if you don't normally come to class um, Tuesdays, maybe you'll stop. But there it's tomorrow. it's it's
0: open every day from oh. dawn to dusk. Yes, so you, there's no no special reason you have to come tomorrow. No, not know. at all. You so just don't want no to be
1: walking all around there in the dark at night. We, that's why it's, why it's not going to operate at night. I know. That's why dawn isn't? to dusk. Yes, a dawn to dusk. Okay, I'm going to close us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. We thank you, God, for loving us like you do. And we thank you, God, for being so persistent in, wow, in in just being being with the Israelites, God, as you were. And then through all these centuries and centuries and millennia, how you're with us, God. Um, Different way. We don't see clouds. We don't see pillars of fire, Lord. But through your son, Jesus, he left us the gift of your Holy Spirit, who's with us all the time, all the time. And we are so grateful for that, Lord. Help us to remember why we are celebrating Advent and why we are celebrating Christmas, Lord, each day. All this we pray in the name of your living son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.
0: Okay. Adios, everybody.
1: See you guys.
0: Bye-bye.